Well, good morning once again. Good morning. Uh, just one more thing I want to bring to your attention before we start. Members meeting next Sunday, 5 o'clock p.m. We do these things six times per year, and they're one of the most important things that we do in the life of our church. It's a time where we come to hear about what goes on in the life of our church. It's a time where we as a family come to affirm people that want to be a part of this family. And it is incredibly hard to care for people that you don't know. Um, and you have an opportunity to get to know them and look for ways that you can serve six times per year as we come and meet. So next week, 5 p.m., it is we have them on the last Sunday of every other month. So just going ahead and May, it's going to be the same time. July, September, it's going to be the same time. Just mark those in, 5 p.m. Uh, come out here, and we would love for you to be here. If y'all would stand with me as we read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. The Apostle Paul writes this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm hard torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Let's pray. Father, you've left us here for your glory. Um, and I pray that we would be reminded that uh, we should have no higher joy than in your glory. Uh, Father, would you help us to know that sometimes your glory costs us personal comfort, but that was never meant to rob from our joy, Father. So we ask that you would give us joy as we move through this life that you have provided for us. Be with us as we spend time in your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all can take your seat. Uh, there's nothing like living 
that reminds you that you have ample reasons for despair. Um, I say this because this morning, um, y'all were supposed to hear from Chad Pritchard, a missionary that we've prayed for for the past few years. Him and his wife and his daughters moved to India uh, two years ago. And we shared with you all that his wife's uh, mom has stage four stomach cancer. And yesterday at 5.15 a.m. while we are in Dallas, I get a text from Chad that says, Tina's mom went to the ER and it seems really, really bad. We've been up with her all night. I don't think I'm going to be able to come. The doctors say the worst could take place. Uh, Yesterday was my brother's 35th birthday, or it would have been had he not passed three years ago. The week before, me, Richard, and Mo, and Rico mourned the loss of his brother who died in a car accident. The week before, I was in Houston burying one of my good friend's dads. And it just goes on and on and on. And there's nothing like being alive to remind all of us that we have reasons to despair. We're bombarded with hard times and adversity. And it exposes just how much our joy is tied to the circumstances that you and I have. Now, as good Christians, we would say it's not completely tied, but you and I know it's tied just enough to really mess things up. Our circumstances don't completely affect our joy, but they affect our joy just as much as a bad referee can affect the outcome of a game. There's nothing like being alive to remind you that you have ample reasons to despair. There's nothing like being alive in community with friends that cements that same truth in your life. Because even when things go well for you, you have friends, loved ones that you have to bury. Even when things go well for you, you have friends that move away. Even when things go well for you, you have friends that deal with infertility. And I just, if we stopped right now, and just went person by person and listened to their story of adversity, we would be here for months as people just unpack it. There's so much here in this room. And if anything, that should help you and I know that adversity is guaranteed. It's going to come. And because we know that it's going to come, because it rests on us, everybody tries to respond to it in some way. There's some of you in this room, that you are extremely exhausted and tired because you've been trying to fight to orchestrate the circumstances of your life to a place where you're not going to experience hard times and you're frustrated and tired because you know how futile of a task that that is. There's some of you in here that are have the life of your dreams right now But you've been in community long enough to know that all of that could change with a phone call. And because of how fragile it is, you're fearful that you may lose the perfect scenario that you have right now. 
Then there's some of us in this room that are just flat out mad and depressed. We are frustrated because nothing has turned out the way that we hoped. I want you to know that the lack of control that you feel is a reality. You are not in control at all. God is in complete control. The lot that you have in life is the lot that you have. The journey that you're on right now is the one that you're on. Nobody can change it but God himself. You are not in control, but let me tell you, that's some of the best news that you're going to hear all day. Because if we're not in control, then that means that somebody else is in control. If we can't rig our lives the way that we want to, that means that somebody else must have a plan for the road that we're on. So what I can't do is change the road that you're on. What I can't do is change the journey that God has laid out in front of you. But what I can tell you is that the journey that God has laid out in front of you, you don't have to take it joyless. Regardless of where you are, you can have joy for this journey. Not by seeking joy, because joy at the end of the day is a byproduct. So we don't chase joy. We have to chase something else. And that thing that we chase is not circumstances, because to chase the perfect scenario for your life is actually to turn your back on joy. We have to be tethered to something else. And as you and I give up control, we find it is liberating that you do not have to live a life of frustration. You do not have to be bitter with the God that has laid out the path that you're on. Adversity and hard times, they threaten every circumstance, everything that you can think of, except for this one thing. And that's what we get here in Philippians chapter 1. I'm not going to be up here for long, so I'm just going to tell you what I'm trying to get at. And that's this. If you want joy, you better tether your hope to the advancement of the gospel. And here's why I say that. Because the gospel loves to travel down the avenue of adversity. The gospel loves it. That road that you and I don't want to walk on, the gospel loves it, and it carries adversity along like a moving walkway, or it carries the gospel along like a moving walkway at an airport. The gospel loves to advance down the avenue of adversity. And if our hope is tied to the good news of Jesus Christ, then what you and I find out is that hard times are not roadblocks. Hard times is, is, is not a big roadblock. It's actually the very pavement that the gospel travels on. Despair doesn't grow out of bad circumstances. Despair grows out of a bad perspective on our present circumstances. So in this letter, what we find is the Apostle Paul writing a very joyful letter from an unlikely place. Paul is writing this letter about the joy that comes from partnership in the gospel from a prison cell. 
So this is a man that's in chains writing to people that are free, that have a better circumstance in life than he has, and he's writing to cheer them up, not the other way around, to tell us that our joy is not tied to our circumstances. Paul's writing an encouraging letter from a discouraging place. And here's what I love about this. In this letter, uh, Paul doesn't give us any imperatives. He doesn't give us commands. This first chapter is kind of like a documentary, not just where somebody is recounting what took place in their life, but they're telling you how they feel about what took place in their life so that you wouldn't feel the same way that they do. And the very first thing that we see in uh, verses 12 to 18, as Paul says this, that if your hope, if your joy is tied to the advancement of the gospel, if your joy is tied to the spreading of the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners like you and me, that you will have unsinkable joy. There is nothing that will be able to sink your joy. Um, I'm what you call an almost swimmer, uh, which is an actual drowner, but the first is a little more hopeful, so I like that one. Um, and what I've found is that you put me in any body of water and I, I sink, right? I've tried all the, yeah, lessons. I'm, I, I just have a dense body and I sink. Uh, well, a few years ago, I was in Israel and we went to the Dead Sea. And what you find out about the Dead Sea is that the concentration of salt is so high um, that it is impossible to sink there. And so folks, would, folks said this on the bus as we drove there. And I said, watch me. I'm pretty sure that I can sink in there. Well, well, I get out there, and what you find out is that in 18 inches of water, I'm out there floating on my back. And I'm like, this, this is great. This is why people like the pool and the beach and all of this. This is great. Well, then I came home, and I tried the same thing, um, and, and it just didn't work the same way at the pool. So if I tell folks, hey, do you want to see me float? Say, yeah. I'm like, all right, it's going to cost you about $1,000, and we got to get on a plane and go to the Dead Sea because my floating is circumstantial. I only float in one place on the earth. What Paul's saying here is that his joy is not circumstantial. Paul's saying, you put me anywhere and my joy will float. Try to drown it, and you'll be as unsuccessful as somebody trying to drown a helium balloon. It's just not going to sink. Hear what Paul says in verse 12 through 18. Paul says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Stop right there. Paul says, hey, I want you to know that what took place, me being in jail, has actively it's actually served to advance the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul's going to go on and say that that's a good thing because his goal, his standard of good, is not his personal comfort. It's the advancement of the gospel. Paul knows, like we all should know, just because you go through hard things, the hard things that you go in, the hard things that you go through in your life are not about you. 
we would be more eager to bear under hard times if we realize that it's not about us. This is why self-pity is so anti the gospel because the hard things that we go through, God is using that for somebody else. So Paul says this, I want you to know and hear this, what happened to me? Paul is not living in denial. He's saying, no, 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 I'm actually in jail because I'm falsely accused. It is a bad thing that happened to me. He's not in denial, but he has godly perspective on what he goes through. Listen, never confuse a godly perspective on hard times with the denial of hard times. Because if we do, what you and I will do is tend to correct people that have a godly perspective of their hard times and tell them they're living in denial when actually they're not. They're living as if there's actually a God in control that loves them. But on the flip side, we may excuse people that are living in denial. And we may start to copy them instead of correct them. So folks may, you know, be sneezing and coughing and they say, well, I'm not sick in the name of Jesus. No, 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 no. You're actually sick. But our God can heal. So Paul says this, yo, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Look, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial garden to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Here's what takes place with Paul. Paul is imprisoned. He's in chains. They say, we don't want the gospel to spread, so we're going to take this leader who is a proponent, and we're going to put him behind bars, one, so that the gospel does not spread, and two, to intimidate everybody that is like him. Rome tried to do this to to show off their strength. And so what Paul's saying is when anybody comes against the gospel and tries to throw an obstacle in the way of the advancement of the gospel, it's not a roadblock. It is the very pavement that the gospel loves to travel on. And so Paul says this, y'all put me in chains, but what you didn't know is that I have a simple message. It's been said that the gospel is deep enough for an elephant to swim in but it's shallow enough for an infant to wade in. So it's this deep message that you only have to hear it once and you can repeat it. We have this debt to God because of our sin. We cannot pay this debt. God is going to come to collect on this debt and it will cost us our lives. And out of nothing inside of us, God sent his son Jesus to substitute for us. 
to pay that debt. So anybody that would put their trust in him can have this life. And so Paul has this message in 24 hours a day as he's chained to these guards. Paul's saying, y'all thought that y'all could imprison the gospel, but you didn't know that I have these guards imprisoned. That as these guards are chained to him, what Paul's doing is preaching the gospel. And we know that he does this because Philippians 4.22, at the end of the letter, Paul writes out and says, Hey, y'all, greet all of the saints, especially those of Caesar's household. Do you know how the saints in Caesar's household came to know the truth of the gospel? Paul was imprisoned and chained to jailers who had shifts with him, and they went home and had families. And so it must have meant that Paul was converting the very people that tried to put him in jail. So Paul's saying, try to imprison me, but the gospel's still going to get out. Then what Rome does is they try to show their strength. They try to intimidate Paul and intimidate the rest of the folks that um, would spend their time advancing the gospel Like Paul did, and so Paul's going to say this in verse 14. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Here's what Rome did. Rome put Paul in jail. Rome would take the followers of Jesus and they would put him in jail. They would beat them. They would flog them. They would kill them. They tried to show all of their strength. And what Paul did was Paul hijacked their showing of strength by taking his persecution with joy so that the people that looked at him looked at the powers of Rome and they said, that's it? That's all they could do? What was I scared of? I have lots of friends now who have kids that are starting to get that age where they want to show you um, how strong they are and how fast they are. So they'd be like, let me show you how fast I am. Sonic the Hedgehog is my favorite uh, character. And they're like, yo, yo, I can run just like him. And so at first I'm like, really? You, you must be really fast. Um, and then they run and they show off their speed. And I tell them, wow, that's fast. But in my head, I'm like, oh, that's not very fast. It's actually pretty slow. Track is not your thing. I don't want you to do. But what they've done is they've showed off all of their strength. And I sit back and I say, I'm unimpressed. That's it. This is what Paul's saying goes on in this church. That people are scared to spend their lives advancing the gospel because they're scared of the hard things that might come their way. So they're like, you first, Paul. And Paul goes and takes it all like a G and turns back with a smile on his face. And they say, that's it. And now they're more emboldened. I want you to know that how you suffer is not just about you. How you suffer does not just affect you. How you suffer and endure hard times has an impact on people that look towards you. And Paul is a guy that's saying, since my joy is tied to the advancement of the gospel, I can suffer well. 
an opportunity for the advancement of the gospel. But Satan doesn't stop there. If Satan can't, if Satan can't intimidate God's people, do you know what he'll do? He'll try to implode God's people. He'll try to start conflict from, from in their midst. Persecution from the outside didn't work to stop the advancement of the gospel. So what Satan does is is raise up guys in this midst that are preaching the gospel, but they're preaching it, like Paul says, out of false motives. They're preaching the gospel because they saw the prominence that Paul himself had, and they looked, and they don't really care about salvation as much as they do making a name for themselves. So folks think that this is going to cause Paul angst as these guys try, try to take his spot. But what Paul says here is, yo, whether in pretense or truth, Paul's like, I don't care about the motives of who preaches the gospel so long as the gospel is being preached. And so Paul's saying false motives, God's going to advance that. But his aim is in the advancement of of the gospel and so what he finds out is that the power of the gospel doesn't necessarily depend on the character of the preacher. That's not an excuse to sin and preach God's word all the more. It's just saying that the gospel is so powerful that even out of the mouth of somebody that has a less than pure heart, the gospel still does work. And that's good news, and it should set our hearts at peace for the people that we see that in, but it should also set our hearts at peace um, when we have the same thing going on in our own hearts, but we don't see that as much. When our joy is tied to the advancement of the gospel, what we find out is that our joy is unsinkable because the gospel gives us opportunities that you couldn't pay for and you couldn't plan for. We've shared this quote before, but I'll read with you. Jupiter Hammond, writing to a group of slaves, says this. Now, my brethren, it seems that there are no people that ought to attend to the hope of happiness in another world so much as we. Most of us are cut off from comfort and happiness here in this world and can expect nothing from it. Now, seeing that this is the case, why should we not take care to be happy after death? Why should we spend our whole lives sinning against God and be miserable in this world and in the world to come? If we do this, we shall certainly be the greatest fools. We shall be slaves here and slaves forever. We cannot plead so great temptations to neglect religion as others. Riches and honors, which drown the greater part of mankind who have the gospel in perdition, can be little or no temptation to us. Here's what he's saying to a group of people that are slaves that are not sure if their freedom is on the horizon. He's saying this in 1787. What he says is this. Even slavery, as horrendous as it was, isn't a big enough roadblock to stop the advancement of the gospel. What he's not doing is he's not excusing the travesty of it, 
nor is he saying, well, it's good because God used it. He's saying it's awful, but look what it does. It creates a discontentment in you that people that are rich and free don't have. People that are rich and free think that they own their lives. People that are rich and free don't realize that this world is not all that there is, so they live their whole lives for this world. But he's saying, because you're enslaved, you know how awful this world is, and you know how foolish it is to live for this world, live for another The gospel provides opportunities that you couldn't plan for or pay for. Slavery itself wasn't enough of a roadblock to stop people from grasping the truth of the scriptures. So whether you're a parent or a roommate or a spouse or a friend, do you know what your job is? Connecting the dots. It's easy to find ourselves in conversations where people find themselves in despair about infertility, find themselves in despair about too many kids, right? Find themselves in despair about death, find themselves in despair about the jobs of that, find themselves in despair about all the circumstances that they have. And what you and I have to do is help to connect the dots and help them see how might God use this? I try to go back through the Bible and I thought, all right, what is the perfect example of this in the Bible where we see how God takes a bad thing and he'll turn it and he'll use it for good? And as I was recounting the stories in the Bible, do you know what I find? I've found out every example is a good one. That this is what God, this is his M.O. Adam and Eve tricked by Satan in it. In Satan's attempt to make God look like a villain, sin comes into the world, and so man sees himself as recipients of God's judgment, but instead what he gets is God's grace. Satan tried to make God look like a bad guy, and he made God look more glorious than he could have been seen without sin. Experientially, as men feels the depths of their sin, as, as we all sat here and Kathy prayed and she kept going and kept going and kept going and, and you feel the depth of your sin. But then you're reminded that we have a God that saves and we end clapping and rejoicing, not crying and weeping. The story of Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers But there is a famine that comes into the land that he was sold out of. And it's threatening the existence of God's people. But Joseph, in slavery, rises to sit in power and is now put in control of the distribution of bread. And so him being sold into slavery, God used that to preserve the very people through which he was going to bring his son Jesus into the world. And on and on and on. Every story is this way. This is God's MO. This is how he does it. And so I bring all of that up to say, look, try your best to look for a circumstance. Look for an adversity. 
Look for a hard time that will stop the advancement of the gospel. And what I will tell you is that you won't find one. There is none. God is too strong to be beaten in a fight. He's too wise to be outsmarted. He sees on the horizon. He sees the future. He, He doesn't miss anything. And so what Paul's saying is, yeah, my joy is unsinkable because my hope is tied to the advancement of the gospel. Out, adversity can't outrun the gospel any more than a lizard can outrun its own tail. And even if you try to cut off the tail, it's going to grow back. And so what Paul's saying is do what you want to. It really doesn't matter. His joy is unsinkable. Paul starts off and he just tells us how he feels, not so, not just so that we feel the same way that he does, but his disposition, how he feels on the inside, is going to help him make a decision. How he feels is going to help him move forward when he finds himself at a fork in the road. Paul finds himself stuck in between a rock and a hard place. And being stuck in between this rock and this hard place, it doesn't do for him what it does for us. It's easy to choose in between things that are good or bad, or it's easy to know which thing that we should choose. Good thing or a bad thing, I shouldn't choose the bad thing, I should choose the good thing. Do you know what's harder to choose? In between two good things, in between better and best, both of these are good, which one Do I choose? When you and I are faced with this choice, it leaves us uncertain. Which one should I choose? And then when we choose, it's like, ah, maybe I should have chose the other one. Paul is not like that. His unsinkable joy gives him this, an unshakable resolve. Look here at verse 20. Paul says this, or starting verse 19. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, look, because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, Christ, or with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or death. Verse 19, Paul says, yo, I know that through your prayers and the help of God's spirit, this will lead to my salvation. That word there, what he means is that this will lead not just to him being set free from jail, which he hopes will take place, but this will lead to his salvation or God completing the good work that he started in him. The reason why I say this is that verse 20, Paul says, yo, my prayer is this, that whether by life or by death, Christ will be honored. That's important because Paul is soliciting prayers from this group of people, not just for his own comfort. He's soliciting their prayers for God's glory. So Paul's not just saying, I pray I want y'all to pray that I'll get out of jail soon. But Paul's saying, I want y'all to pray that even if I get out of jail, 
or I die in here, I want y'all to pray that God's glory will advance. We too often solicit prayers of people only for our own comfort, and we wonder why it feels like we're never a part of big and great things that God wants to do through us. Maybe it's because we're never asking for anybody to pray that God himself would use us for his glory. But a caution. Paul being in jail was likely an answer to his prayer that God would use him. So know that as we pray that God would use us, it's not just big, grand platform things. Sometimes it's dark dingy prison things. Paul solicits their prayers. And then he says this, look, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Look, now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. Look, he says this, I long to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul says, I've lived a hard life. I'm ready to cash out, take my pension, be with Christ. That's better for me. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So Paul says this, I've got a hard choice. I can stay here and endure prison, beatings, shipwrecks, uh, beheading. Because that will help you out, your joy. Or I could just die right now, cash in my chips and be with Christ. And so Paul's saying, all right, I'm hard pressed. Both of these are good things. And notice what he does. Verse 25. Look, since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that. Because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. What Paul says is there's something that's better for me. There's something that's better for y'all. And do you know how he comes to the conclusion of what he is going to do? The trump card for him is this is what's better for y'all. And Paul knows what we all should know is that as Christians, our life really begins to matter the day we realize that our life is about somebody else. Our life is for somebody else. And so Paul says this, I'm convinced that this is better for you, so do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay here and joyfully embrace adversity because hard times, although they happen to me, They are not about me, neither are they for me. And this all comes from the conviction that he says here in verse 21. For me to live is Christ. Paul saying Christ, the advancement of the message of a God that came to save sinners is the reason for my living. So everything else is shaped around that. And what that means is that death can't take anything from me. I want you to hear this. To live is Christ. If you replace that word Christ with anything else, death will rob you of it. Death robs us of 
everything. I remember years ago, the first time I worked through this text and preached on it in a church, it was on Father's Day. And for those of y'all that know our story, my wife and I uh, dealt with about 10 years of unexplained infertility before we uh, adopted our first daughter. Um, And so as aspirational as I would have loved for this to be, for me to say to live as Christ, uh, what really characterized my life is uh, for me to live as fatherhood. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But it was the source of so much of my joy when I thought that it was going to come or anxiety when it fell through. And do you know what I've quickly found out? Is that if that comes at the end of what I live for, although it's a good thing, death will rob me of it. So death could rob me of the chance of it if I died before I got my daughter. Death would rob me of it if I got my daughter and then I died, because then I would lose it. Death could rob me of it if, God forbid, she goes. Put anything you want there, career advancement, relationships, marriage, Kids, if for you, if your life consists, if your joy is set on anything except for the advancement of the gospel, death can and will eventually rob you of it. Richard Baxter says it like this, that Paul is a guy that's caught between two joys. Paul's like, yo, it's a joy if I stay here and work for Christ and see people come to know the Lord. Man, it's a joy if I die and I meet Christ face to face. But what Baxter says is that though Paul is caught between two joys, most men live in between two sorrows. We're weary of living and we're fearful of dying. So there's so many days where we get up and we're like, I can't believe it's morning already. I don't want to get out of bed. But we don't want to go to our eternal sleep. But what Paul tells us is that your life doesn't have to be like that. What Paul does is he looks in hindsight. Paul looks in hindsight and he says, no, no, listen. God's MO, what he does is he takes very bad things and he'll use it for the advancement of his message. And the magnum opus, the biggest example of this is when Jesus himself came and lived a perfect life, was falsely and unjustly accused, was crucified, given the most horrendous, horrific death by the Romans to show what they could do and they locked him in a tomb but on the third day Jesus unlocked that door Jesus crawled well not crawled Jesus rose out of that tomb and all of his followers looked at him they looked at each other and they said yo we can get up from death And it drastically changed how they viewed adversity because they knew 
that the gospel loves to travel down the avenue of adversity. They knew, like Paul did, the reason why you and I exist is so that other people can glory in the work that Christ has done. Paul knew that our lives are like film. And we've said this before, not the kind of new film, the old like black translucent film that looks unimpressive on its own. But you hold that film up in front of a light and it broadcasts amazing stories. And so what Paul's saying is, man, I'm, 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 I'm glad that my life gets to be like film. Nobody leaves a movie and is impressed by the 3M tape that runs through. They're impressed by what they see on the screen. And so Paul's saying, I don't have to live a life where people are impressed by me. I don't have to live a life where people look and thank me for the work that I've done. I have to live a life where people look at what's shining through me, what God has done through me, especially in my hard times, and see this great God that we serve. Paul is embracing discomfort and his adversity to tell an amazing story about a God that uses adversity. And I want you to know this, and I want you to hear this. You are not the exception to the rule. I don't know the specifics of what you are going through. But the good news about this is that I don't have to to tell you that you can have joy because your joy is not tied to your circumstances at all. Your joy is not tied to your health. Your joy is not tied to your marital status. Your joy is not tied to how many kids that you have. Your joy is not tied to how much money that you make. Your joy is not tied to how well you and your family get along. Your joy is not tied to how much time you have to go out and to achieve your dreams. Your joy is not tied to how many people in your family that you will have to bury in the next 12 months. Or at least your joy doesn't have to be tied to all those things. It can be free. If you are one that right here, right now, that says, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that your son died to save me. I know that left to my own self, I am a terrible master and ruler of my own life. God, I don't want to live for those things. I want to live completely for you. And the beauty about crying out to God to change us is that you and I don't have to muster the resolve ourselves. If you're here and you're saying, John, I know, but I just can't. There's so much that I love. There's so much that I want to hold on to. What I'm saying is, I, I know what you're saying, because that's where we all were until we said, Jesus, save me. Help to unpry my fingers, these fists from all these things that I cling so tightly to. And help me to realize there's something better to live for than the circumstances that I want so bad. The gospel loves to travel down the avenue of adversity. If you are facing a hard time in your life right now, as most of us are, I want you to know that you can walk that journey full of joy. So here's what I know. You have a hard road ahead of you. Even if you can't see it, that is the way that life works. There's nothing like living that reminds you that you have reasons for 
despairing. The unimaginable is headed your way, but you don't have to make this journey without joy. I don't know what you're going through, but I don't have to. If you're in a place right now where your life is full of despair and you see so many things that are going so wrong, it's not an obstacle to your joy. It's God graciously putting you in a place where he can flex and you can see his power and be convinced that that God is this God. Romans sixteen twenty. I feel like that's such a good place to end and what Paul says this. Um, 1620 says this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The God of peace will not just crush Satan. He'll crush any roadblock in your way and grind it into gravel to lay a pathway for the gospel to advance. If your joy is tied to the gospel, you'll have unsinkable joy and an unshakable resolve. I pray this would be true of us as a church. Let's pray. Father, um, we ask that you would do in us what we can't do in ourselves. Remind us of your uh, good grace towards us, Father. I pray that you would change our perspective. Help us to see your world through your eyes. Help us not to be fearful. Help us not to be frustrated with you. And help us not to fight with you either, Father. Remind us that us not being in control is a good thing. We relinquish control and give it to you, Father. We ask that you would give us joy in return. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.